Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I see this is the crowd that did not go to camp. Is that correct? Or is just getting back from camp, however that works. But anyway, we do have a large group uh, who has already left for camp. Tim, uh, who's normally up here on Sunday mornings, is the director of camp, primary camp uh, this week. Last week we had our middle schoolers at camp last week. How many of you middle schoolers went to camp? You went to camp? Mark, you know. <laughs> few of them, okay. But anyway, uh, uh, my name is Gary, Gary Chapel. in case some of you don't know me. Um, I fill in for Tim and, and Mike and all those guys on occasion, and I'm happy to be here. Um, we are, Tim has been in the middle of a series um, talking about the 12, specifically talking about the 12 apostles or the 12 most popular disciples of Jesus. I say that, uh, the most popular, and I don't know that's really true. Uh, the 12 apostles were a part of a much larger group of disciples, and if you've paid any attention to the list of the 12 apostles... Uh, there's other disciples who are mentioned a whole lot more than some of those names on those on the list. And today we're going to be talking about one such individual. His he is simply referred to as Simon the Zealot. And we're going to get to this in a minute. But there's just virtually nothing about him. His only thing we know about Simon the Zealot is that he is in the list of the twelve apostles. That's it. That's the only time he's mentioned in any way, shape, or form directly. And I was asked to talk about Simon the Zealot, oh, it was back in 2010 at a men's retreat. And I remember I got up there and I, I said, the only thing we know about Simon the Zealot is that he spent time, spent three years with Jesus. And we talked about the need to spend time with Jesus. And what you could benefit from that. And today, uh, we're gonna dig a little bit deeper. I've discovered there's more there, if you look closely, about Simon the Zealot than just this listing of his name. As you can already see up on the notes, uh, we have no record of anything Simon said. We have no record of his specific words. Now, as you're gonna find out here in a minute, we do have evidence of him being involved in some discussions and we know the topic of those discussions and we'll get there in a minute or in a little bit uh, we also know nothing beyond him we don't know if he was married we don't know if he was single we don't know if he had children we don't know what his parents names were we don't know where he was from though some translations uh, the early English translations list him instead of Simon the Zealot they list him as Simon the Canaanite which is a bit of a mistranslation. They didn't go back to the original Greek. They went back to, I believe it was Latin. And they, they, it was a mistranslation. Today it's commonly accepted that the translation should be Simon the Zealot. And that's, that's what we know about him. You can see there in the list in, in Luke chapter 6 about his name being listed there among the twelve that Jesus called to him. This is what it says. It says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now when you read that, 
you may go, well, what is, what is it to, why, does it, why does it designate him as, a, as the zealot? Well, the first reason is probably because there's, two, there's multiple Simons in the list, and they want to distinguish between the, the different Simons. Simon Peter being the most popular one, obviously. Um, and they say, okay, what does this mean, the zealot? And they're, they're, they're talking about it could simply mean that he was a zealous person. All right, that was a characteristic that Jesus talked about. He talked about zeal for his father's house would consume him. Zeal is contempt can be a good thing, but more likely it is concluded that he was. This was a more of a political designation. There was a group of political. There was a political group is the best way I know to describe it. Uh, in the first century, the, 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 early, the first century Jewish nation, the Israelites, were divided into different, group, different groups of thought. You're, fi- you're probably primarily familiar with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there were the Essens, and uh, the, the Zealots were another such group that came about, and they were specifically opposed to being under Roman rule. They did not like an ungodly pagan nation making the rules, telling them what to do. And this group initially founded about the time of Jesus' birth because Rome decided, guess what they decided to do to those Israelites? They decided to tax them. And that's what the zealots was originally founded around, was like, we can't have this. We can't be giving our money and even a small portion of it, to an ungodly pagan nation who promotes idolatry, who promotes things that we don't believe in. And they were known for several things, but they were basically, they said, look, we know the Messiah is coming. We know we're supposed to get a king. We know God is going to liberate the Israelites into this 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 kingdom of God when the Messiah comes and sits on the throne. And they said, basically, we're going to help this happen. We're going to look for this Messiah, and we're going to uh, try to keep the Israelites faithful to God, and we're going to get God, get the kingdom, kingdom of Israel ready for the kingdom of God. There was even it's very, very interesting that there was even a group. A subgroup of the zealots, and I can't pronounce the name. I'm not going to try it because I didn't even write it down. Um, but they were basically assassins. They carried daggers that they, they could keep concealed in their, in their cloak. I guess you might consider them the original conceal and carry people. But they were known for killing people. They would kill both Romans, who they thought were a problem, but they would also kill Jews who they considered collaborators with Rome. Okay? I mean, I mean, extremely political. Took their political views to extreme. And I think it's very significant that we look at Simon and we realize what he was as a zealot. Because I, I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but America's kind of a politically divided nation. Have you, has anybody else noticed that? Have you, have you seen that? No. And, and guys, that affects, that has fallen over into Christianity. I mean, I, I can tell you just quite honestly, I spoke with individuals in this group and from different political persuasions, and they're concerned about people on the other side of the aisle and what they're saying and what they're doing. 
And I think it's very significant because also listed in that list of 12 apostles was another man. I don't believe we talked about yet. His name was Matthew. And Matthew was known for being what? Tax collector. Now can you imagine Simon the Zealot? I am opposed to Roman rule. I'm opposed to Roman taxation. I, I, I am a part of a group that has a subgroup, a part of it that assassinates those Jewish people who collaborate with the Romans. And across the room... Across the group is Matthew, a collaborator with the Romans, and not only collaborating with the Romans, but collecting taxes. Now it's very interesting, folks, when you look at this, and I I compare it to our day and time. Because both the zealots and folks like Matthew could probably use Scripture to justify their decisions. How do you get that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways. I mean, the zealots were basically based upon, there's a, there's a Messiah coming. We're supposed to have this separate kingdom. We're supposed to not, we're supposed to be separate from all this idolatrous nation. We're not supposed to be under their rule. And this is all you can support with the Old Testament. This is not what God planned. This is not what God's designed. We need to help cultivate it along. And then you have Matthew. And I don't know that Matthew did this, but he could look back to Jeremiah 29. When they didn't call it Jeremiah 29 back then, but they, they look back and Jeremiah wrote some instructions that God gave him to give to the people after they were first taken over by a godly nation and taken captive into this foreign nation. And if you read that, it says, work for the prosperity of the nation you are under. And so you guys, you, you, Is that twisting? I don't know that that is. I don't know that Matthew was a bad tax collector, a crook, a greedy one, like most of them were known for doing. Or if he simply said, look, I'm just working for the prosperity of the nation that I'm on. We don't know. Both of them could could potentially point to a political position, I mean a biblical position from God's word that said, this is why I'm where I'm at. This is why I'm where I'm at. Now, interestingly enough, you see virtually nothing from Jesus about politics. I mean, this is, this is, this is my view. I, I'd love to discuss this if anybody else has opposing thoughts on this. But what you see from Jesus is he basically is, let's focus on the kingdom of God. Let's focus on how citizens of the kingdom of God are supposed to act and think. And let's let the world and their politics stay away. Let them do their thing. And let's focus on what the kingdom of God that I'm telling you about. Because believe it or not, you folks got, don't understand everything about the kingdom of God. That's what he was telling them in the first century. And so guys, what you see here, we, we, we know two things about Simon, as I've already talked about. He was a zealot, but he, he was also... That's where he started as a zealot. But where he ended up, history tells us that he died a martyr's death for being a follower of Jesus. How does someone go from being this radical, political insurrectionist is what they were considered in those days to dying for Jesus, to living for the faith? 
Well, what we want to look at today, like I said, we don't have his direct words. We don't have any direct quotes. But there were other situations that we, we find very clearly that we do have information on Simon. We know that he witnessed the miracles of Jesus. We know that he heard the words of Jesus in some specific settings. And we're going to look at some of those today. We also know that he saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. And so guys, there's a lot there about Simon. You got, you got to, you got to, you got to look a little deeper. And that's what I find very encouraging, very exciting about the Bible is that when you take a second look, when you take a closer look, when you take a deeper look, if you will, oh my goodness, what you find. It's far more real and applies to our lives far more than you even understand sometimes. But anyway, guys, what we want to look at is some insights into Simon's transformation. How did he go from a radical insurrectionist political figure or political activist, however you want to say it, to being dying a martyr for Jesus? What kind of transformation where he existed not only cordially or in a a, 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 let's get along kind of way with somebody opposing his thought, but I believe that they had a bond. Jesus told his disciples that you must have a love for one another that the world looks at. As we said in John 13, by this the world will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. So Matthew and Simon both went from their political positions to being followers of Jesus that were recognized as such. Way beyond get along. Way beyond tolerating or putting up with. Way beyond that. Guys, let's look at this. The first thing that we want to talk about, insight into Simon's transformation, is that Simon followed Jesus. Now that seems really simple, doesn't it? Okay, you could have got that one on your own. I get it. Uh, But let's look a little deeper at this. You see, because what I want to talk about I thought about this after the notes were were in print. In order for Simon to follow Jesus, he had to leave something else. Okay, let's let's dig on this. Let's look at these passages real quick, and we'll get through this first point quickly. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Uh, This is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting into the lake. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We have the same type of story concerning James and John, where they left their nets and followed Jesus. Now you look at another story in Matthew chapter 9. Yeah, Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. You see, guys, there's one of the reasons that I'm, I, I believe that Simon was an actual zealot is because when you look at these descriptions of the other disciples, they are both identities of who they were before Jesus called them. 
And I believe that the designation of Simon as a zealot falls into that category. And I believe it's mentioned specifically because of, of the challenge that would exist there between him and Matthew. But here's the thing, guys. In each of these situations, the apostles, you know, Simon and his brother Andrew, James and John, they they left their boats. They left their jobs as fishermen. They left their identity as fishermen. Because Jesus said, come on, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Matthew left his tax collector booth. He didn't go back to collecting taxes. How do we know that? Let's look in Mark chapter 10. Verse 28. And it says, Then Peter spoke up. We, speaking of the twelve, have left everything to follow you. See guys, in order for Simon to follow Jesus, he had to leave something. Now here's the challenge, guys, as we, as we want to talk about this. What's this got to do with us? Um, it's very plain. Number one, have you made a decision to follow Jesus? I mean, that's where it begins. And for those of us in the room, who I believe is the majority, who have made a decision to follow Jesus, the question is, have you left anything behind? Guys, Peter makes it plain that the apostles left their past identity behind. They left everything to follow him. And so that's what I got it down there. What have I left to follow Jesus? And I, I, I added in my notes, what am I presently leaving behind? What, what, what have... What do I have right now that's in my life, in my thoughts, in my beliefs? See, because that's what you're talking about with Simon the Zealot. It was his beliefs in the kingdom of God. His idea of what that was going to look like. The activities, the actions that he took as a result of that. He left that behind in order to follow Jesus as a true citizen of the kingdom. Second insight that we have into Simon is that he, he submitted his beliefs and identity to Jesus' words. Now guys, this word's getting into one of those things where uh, we know he experienced something. But let me ask you a question before we get down to that passage in Matthew. How do you identify yourself? Do you have a way that you identify yourself either, you know, outward, the public, or even just in your own mind? I am this. How do you identify yourself? Okay, I used to literally say, uh, because I identify myself, I was in my auto glass business, and I identify myself as Gary from Farmland. Farmland Auto Glass. That's where I identified myself from. You know, I've never, though at the same time, I've never been comfortable identifying myself as a business owner. I don't know if you knew that or not. I don't. For years I didn't. People, I own my own auto glass business, and people say, what do you do for a living? I say, I sell and install auto glass. And it took years before I'd say, well, I own the business. Now, sometimes that's good, you know, when there's problems and you're on the phone and the customer's got a problem. I say, well, I'll have to check with the owner about that. Which I did. I have to go away and think about that on my own. You know, I wasn't a lie. I was just didn't want to deal with it at the moment. I couldn't deal with it. Which is wisdom, by the way. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Guys, how do you identify yourselves? See, there's a debate that's going on right now in the Christian world. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with it. But there is a big uh, question in the world politically, and it's fallen over into the church, of how do you respond to, how do you deal with folks from the LGBTQ community. And believe it or not, 
There are individuals who have been a part of that lifestyle, specifically the gay lifestyle, and they decide to leave that lifestyle to uh, follow Jesus. That that you, you can find stories all over the place like that. Those aren't in the mainstream media, but they exist. Uh, I know some of them personally, and it's a very real thing. Now the question is, the debate is, how does a person who has lived the gay lifestyle, who 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 is tempted with same sex attraction and indulged that desire and lived the lifestyle, and then they've they've pulled back from that because they don't believe it coincides, synchronizes with following Jesus, and they're now a follower of Jesus, how do they refer to themselves? And some of them have chosen, for for different reasons, to identify as gay Christians. And there's a debate. you got to dissect it, you know, by what do you mean by gay? Does that mean that you simply are are tempted uh, with an attraction to the same sex? Or are you saying you're still part of that community? You know, and the debate on the other side is, well, you're embracing something that Jesus says it's ungodly, and it's a debate of how you identify. Well, my question is this. As I've already said, how do you identify yourself? And I'm not talking along LGBTQ lines. I'm talking about how do you identify yourself? What are you? I'm a businessman. Do you identify yourself by your career? Okay? By your position in life? By your status? By your dreams? By your hobbies? By your political thought? Is that, you think that going on here? How do you identify yourself? You see, and it's one thing to identify a certain way, it's another to submit your beliefs and your identity to the words of Jesus. Guys, the truth is, for most of my life, uh, following Jesus, for me, meant dragging along other parts of my life that I liked. Okay? The parts that I thought were okay or right, or the parts that I wanted Jesus to be okay with, you know, and I might I might just think that he thinks okay. I, I would never go to Jesus and ask, hey, are you okay with this? Because it was just, I just concluded, you know, that it's okay. I think it's okay. But I wasn't humble enough to literally take it before Jesus and go, Jesus, this is what I think. This is what I believe. If this is wrong, show me. There's a song that we used, I guess we still sing it. It's called Create in Me. And it talks about create in me a clean heart, O God. And basically it's saying expose in me what's not from you. It's a powerful prayer. It's in Psalms 51 is where it comes from. And I encourage you to look at that. For today, we're not going, we don't have time for that. But let's look at what happens in Matthew 16. And again, Simon was a part of this group. Simon, as a zealot, was going to hear the words of Jesus firsthand as a zealot. And what happens in Matthew chapter 16, a little background here, is Jesus has came to his disciples and he's asked them, he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who, who do people think I am? And they say, well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah, one of the prophets. Or uh, some say John the Baptist. He goes, okay. He goes, what about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter, who spoke so often, he speaks up and he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the king that Jesus has sent us. That's what that means. 
And Jesus gets all excited. He's like, oh my gosh, Peter, that is fantastic. You are correct. That was not revealed to you by man, but that was revealed to you by God. And blessed are you, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And he's all excited. And he continues on, beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 16. This is what it says. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Guys, I, I, this, this, I love this passage because it lays it out and makes it so plain. He's telling Peter, he goes, You have ideas in your head that are from men. And they're in the way of my ideas. Have you ever found yourself in that position? Have you ever found yourself in the position where your ideas were different than God's ideas? Okay? Let me tell you, Simon's position as a zealot was from man. It wasn't from God. I mean, we know from history and what they were doing, it did not line up with the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom. What do you think he's thinking when he hears Peter called out like this? We don't know. I'm speculating, okay? I would hope that he'd go, hmm, maybe my ideas are wrong too. Maybe my ideas about Matthew are wrong. I know Matthew's ideas are wrong. Because I believe that that's what's going on. Simon, how did Simon go from being a zealot to being, to dying as a believer in Jesus? He heard the words of Jesus after he followed him. And you see guys, that's what we're supposed to do. We're not just supposed to go to the words of the Bible for comfort. You know, that's not what it's all about. When you say, I follow Jesus, that means I will represent you, Jesus. I will represent your ideas, not mine. Hey guys, I got a question there. You can take that home and fill it out. But it's, Do I have an identity that I haven't submitted to Jesus? Do I have something in my life to where I see myself this way? Or I have this belief? Politically or otherwise? And I, I don't know, I haven't tried to line it up with what Jesus has to say. I've just decided it's right and I like it. There you go. Third insight into the transformation of Simon is he learned to focus on the eternal and not his present circumstances. Let's look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 19. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What there will there, 
what then will there be for us? And guys, real quick, just to, again, background. I know we, we limit these because of space, the passages we look at. But what's went on is Jesus has talked about the rich, the wealthy, and those that are... Uh, he says that it's, it's hard for the wealthy to get into the kingdom of God. And Peter's like, well, well, well what, what is there for us then? Because we've left everything. You know, we should have an easy cakewalk in the door. And Jesus says... Truly, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left homes, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for My sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first guys what you see going on there is jesus is 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 explaining to the disciples explaining to the apostles that what you get isn't what you're after isn't about what this world has to offer what you're after is eternal. It's very interestingly enough, these guys, there's, you know, again, one of the, just a side note, when you talk about there's not much in there about Simon. Did you notice what's in there about Simon, specifically about him? He's gonna be able to, he's gonna be one that sits on a throne, judging the twelve tribes of, of Israel. That's, that's incredible. This, this no-name person. This no-name person. And guys, the question is, there's another passage here. It's at the end of your... No, it's not at the end of your notes. Hold on. I debated where to put this section, and then I found out I actually got it somewhere else as also. So give me just a second here while I talk to decide how I want to say this. Um, one of the other things that happens... We're going to look at this passage down later. Uh, it'll be on the screen. It's not in your notes. Uh, at the end of the At the end of the lesson... Um, or near the end of the lesson. It's, it's from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 35. And it's where Jesus is, is again telling, telling the apostles about him, him going to die and what's going to be happening. And, uh, Jesus asked him the question. He says, uh, what were you arguing about on the road? And it said, nobody said a word. Nobody wanted to speak up because they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And if you're familiar at all with the, with the, with the, with the four gospels in the, New, in the New Testament, this ain't the first or only time this went on. I mean, you have a situation where James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you let my two sons sit on the left, your left and right? Basically, have the highest positions of power and authority in your kingdom. And so the other other disciples were indignant. They got a little upset about that. You have another situation where they are just they're, they're just openly arguing about who is the greatest. One of those situations was at the Last Supper. Jesus, this is the Last Supper of the night. Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to be dead within twenty four hours. And there, they, an argument breaks out there in the presence of Jesus about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, guys, here's the situation. When they're focused on who's the greatest, 
They're focused on the here and now. They're focused on the circumstances. They're focused on their position. Okay? Their career. Their, the prominence of their position. The significance of their following Jesus. And you see, guys, I bring that up and I look at that because we are called to be like Jesus. Period. Everything else in life just helps us get there. Our career. Our influence. Our education. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Unless that becomes your focus. Unless that dominates. And Simon had to learn... Me promoting my beliefs and my ideas as a zealot isn't what it's about. Me focusing on what Jesus has to say, and that's on the eternal. That's where I need to be. That's where I need to be. Lastly, guys, uh, insights into the, last insight into the transformation of, uh, Simon the zealot, and I love this one is he repeatedly affirmed his decision to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, and I, I, I've said this many times up here. It's kind of a, th- a theme for me, and, and, and that's okay, even if you want to make fun of me for it. Um, but I believe the same way we teach little kids to pledge allegiance to the flag in school, we need to pledge our allegiance to Jesus on a very regular basis. Daily basis, more. I'm just saying regularly. It's not a one and done kind of a thing. You know, it's not, yeah, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Now let me just go live my life and do this minimal amount of things. I'll go to church and I'll stay away from these bad activities. We're called to a life of transformation. We are called to be different. We are called to represent Jesus in our daily lives, no matter where we are. And I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself of that decision pretty regularly. I need to affirm it in prayer to Jesus Himself. Not so, not that He needs to hear it, but that I need to say it. Now, how do you see the, I see that uh, Simon was called to that. Look at this. Look at these two passages. First one's in John chapter 6. This is what it says. It says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What happened here is Jesus had a, a fairly long teaching and it was hard to understand and many disciples turned back. And uh, Jesus, he says, he turns to the twelve. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, guys, what's going on there is Jesus says, okay, guys, it's decision time. People are leaving. It's easier to follow me when there's a big crowd. Now you're going to be part of the minority. You want to leave? He's calling them to a decision. You want to leave? Or you want to affirm that you're still going to follow me? This this happens again in Mark chapter 14. Peter, man, he's always talking up. 
Jesus is talking here about them uh, denying Him and disowning Him at His crucifixion. And this is what Peter says. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I guess we do have some words of Peter. I mean, some words of Simon in here, don't we? At least maybe not an exact quote. We have the context and the content where Simon as well as Peter and all the other 12 said, somebody else might quit you. Somebody else might deny you. I will not. He's affirming, Jesus, I will follow you. Now we know what happened. We know they they had their blip. They had their moment. And we also know that they made the decision to come back. And I'll get to that in a minute. But guys, let me ask you, when when has your commitment to Jesus been challenged? I mean, I find that mine gets challenged when things don't go the way I think they should. When the things in my life don't line up the way I want them to or thought they would. And I don't know what it is for you. I mean, I have very clear thoughts when that happens. It's just like, okay, is this real? And guys, I had a mo- we had a moment in, uh, several years ago. Most of you, a lot of you know Stephanie Gill passed away from from breast cancer after a long, almost 20 year battle with breast cancer. She passed away. And my wife and I, one afternoon, excuse me, before she passed away, I went to her house on a Sunday afternoon to have share communion with her. We had several of us who were, who were lined up or, you know, scheduled to do this. And I was sitting there with a woman who was dying and knew it. And we were remembering Jesus. And I've stood up here, I don't know how many times before communion and had my thoughts. And I sat there and I had nothing. I had nothing. And then all of a sudden a thought came to me. I was challenged with, do you really believe this, Gary? You're sitting in front of someone who who does believe it and is soon going to find out. Is it, all of a sudden it's real. It's not a ritual. It's not just something you do on Sunday morning. It's not something to make you feel good. It's like, can I be comfortable in the presence of a dying believer? Comfortable even to say, and I know this was said to her by her brother-in-law, by Tim. I'm jealous. You're going to get to see Jesus before me. And you guys, you have moments like that that you're called, I need to affirm. I find whenever things get difficult, I I have to affirm. I have to decide. I'm not going to stop following you, Jesus. I don't like what's going on. It's painful. I will say it sucks. But it's time to reaffirm that I'm not I'm not going to quit following you. And guys, that's what we see going on in the life of Simon the Zealot. We know that this happened. Guys, you've got the blanks there. When has my commitment to Jesus been challenged? How often do I affirm my allegiance to Jesus? Do what you want with those. Do where you are. I want to, I want to end on this, this passage in Acts chapter one. 
This is after Jesus had died. This is after uh, he had ascended into heaven. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. See guys, Simon spent three years with Jesus. He came in with a set of beliefs, with an attitude, with a position. And he spent three years witnessing the miracles, listening to the words of Jesus, and having his identity and beliefs challenged with many opportunities to walk out the door. And we know that he constantly continued to affirm his allegiance to Jesus and to follow Jesus. And he spent the rest of his life representing Jesus, being an imager of God. So guys, as we, as we close out, I just want to ask you, how is the transformation going in your life? You know, I say this many times. I think we ought to be able to look at our life and say, I am different today than I was a year ago. Five years ago. And when you get into five years and ten years, a follower of Jesus ought to see a radical transformation. I do things differently. I think differently. I approach things differently. But how's the transformation going? Uh, there may be some of you here that you need to accept Jesus for the first time. You may, and we would love to talk to you. We would love to help you to, to understand what that means. We have a prayer card that you can... You can check a box on there or write in the note. I, w- I would like to understand this more. Uh, do you need to get back on the path of following Jesus? Guys, in today's world, it is very easy to go to church, to be religious, and to not really be following Jesus. And you know it. And that may be where you're at. Uh, or do you need to simply affirm your allegiance to Jesus? Maybe it's just a difficult time and you're like, hey, I want I want to commit to being with Jesus. I just want to encourage you to give that thought as you spend the rest of your day and as you spend your week. But let's pray and we'll be done this morning. Father, thank you so much. Father, I I love what you have uh, revealed to us in your word. Father, that we can look at a man like Simon the Zealot and go, there's nothing there. We don't have any of his words directly recorded. No quotes. But Father, you have revealed so much to us when we look deep. Father, we understand how you want us, like Simon, to submit our beliefs, our identity, our thoughts, our actions to you. Father, I find that pretty wonderful. It's scary at times. It's painful at times. Like I'm sure it was for Peter when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But Father, it's also, in the long run, it is just so good to know that we don't have to go through this life with no direction. Father, I pray for our hearts. I pray that we are all committed to be followers of you. And Father, willing.
commit our thoughts, beliefs, and identities to your words. And in Jesus, we bring this before you. Amen.